Thank you, Grendel. I could have done that for another half hour. Um, I have been excited ever since Steve contacted me and said that he'd be in town this weekend uh, for a couple weeks. And, um, and I'm really excited this morning. I'm nervous. I'm not myself. Forgive me. I just want you to meet Steve. I grew up with Bartimaeus. He was a kind of athletic kid and um, well-liked by his peers. And I even remember when he had a crush on uh, Josephina. And uh, she was a little out of his league, but he gave it his best. He almost got her, but she ended up with Mark. He was this kind of fast learner, uh, very, um, I don't know, kind of a really together guy, and people liked him. Uh, When we kids would do sports together, he was always both an eager winner and a good loser. There were a lot of qualities about him that I admired, which is why it was so sad that later on into his teenage years, as he studied to be a cobbler. He, was, he, he made shoes. He, um, he was good at it, and he, he earned his income by repairing and, and making shoes for people in town in Jericho. And, um, and he was doing well. I don't know anything about his family. I don't remember anything about his family, but he was a good guy, and people liked him, which again, is why it's so sad that he had a rare genetic disorder where his retina detached from his eye. And um, he slowly went blind. He knew he was going blind, but there was nothing the doctors could do and nothing he could do to stop that blindness from coming. Over time, he lost his sight completely. Bartimaeus is a really weird name, too. We all, actually, we teased him about that name because Bar is... Uh, you know, it's an Aramaic word that means son. And Timaeus is a Greek name, which no one on earth had in our part of Rome, <laughs> in Jericho. And, uh, and best we can guess is that perhaps his dad was a fan of Plato, because this was Plato's most famous paper, Timaeus. And uh, ironically, the paper talks about the light of mankind or humankind and how when the sun meets the light of awareness in a human, light becomes a thing. And then, of course, Plato gets on into how with the vision we have and our ability to see how we are so blind to the spiritual realities of life. So we thought maybe that's where it came from. We don't know. He was heckled for it, but he took it like a champ. But he went blind, right? And uh, I kept my friendship with him as he lost his business. He never did get married, so there wasn't a lot of sorrow there, but he didn't have anyone to help him either. And as he went blind and he went into financial hardship, then 
you know, um, his life got really difficult to the point where he went to the administration in Jericho and applied to be a beggar. And they gave him the tunic of a beggar, a kind of license for that he's approved to sit on the street and beg for alms and people could know that this, you know, he's a legit guy that needs help. He did okay, he survived, but it was terribly sad. Guy with a lot of potential and a guy who knew the light of life and lost it. And so um, I was with him one day as we heard that this guy named Jesus was approaching Jericho with some of his disciples. And we'd heard all kinds of stories about him. And um, we were excited because it was said that this Jesus could heal people. And, uh, and, and his teachings were a disruption to, to uh, the spiritual lives that we were living. And so I, I grabbed Bartimaeus that morning and, and we went to the main gate where we expected Jesus to come into Jericho with his disciples. And uh, it wasn't just Jesus and his disciples. As, as he drew closer to Jericho, it was tons of people. I don't know how many hundreds of people, but uh, there were crowds around him. And everyone, everybody wanted a piece of this guy and they wanted their questions answered because everyone knew about this guy, Jesus. And people were saying that he might be the Messiah. You know, that's a, that's a big jump for a dude. <laughs> you know, savior of the world. <laughs> and so, so, geez, I wanted to get Bartimaeus close to him. Maybe he could just shine a little bit of that light on Bartimaeus and, you know, help him. And Bartimaeus, of course, was game. So we, we, uh, we waited by this main gate coming into Jericho. We heard the the crowds coming, and as Jesus got close, uh, Bartimaeus started shouting on his own, Jesus, son of David! He's shouting. You know, already Bartimaeus was living into the aspiration of Messiah, because son of David's a big reach, right? That means he's greater than David. He's the Messiah. And so (laughs) he shouted, and this guy named James told Bartimaeus to shut up. I don't know who he thought he was. You know, my best friend who's blind and has like the license of beggary on him. And, um, and James, who I think was one of Jesus' disciples, tells him to, to shut up. You're embarrassing the master. And you're, you're, you're causing a distraction here. We don't want this. And Bartimaeus listened respectfully and said, No. <laughs> Jesus, son of David. He kept shouting. I kind of got in the game with him, and I also shouted at Jesus, and I started doing my kind of jumping jack thing to get his attention, and would you, wouldn't you know it, he, he, it caught his eye. Jesus saw us, and he heard us, and, um, and, and uh, he walked over to where Bartimaeus was, and he looked into his eyes, and Bartimaeus said again, Jesus, son of David, touch me. Make me whole. And what does Jesus do? Now, we had heard that Jesus was the master questioner. Like, he gets asked questions, and he answers with a question. In fact, what we heard is that the disciples who were keeping track of his questioning game, that there were more than 400 questions that Jesus pitched out there that were, uh, that were actually in response to questions. And you know how many of those 400 questions he answered? Eight. 
And the cool thing here is that it appears to Jesus in his way of doing life that the question is more important than the answer. And I was just intrigued by this. And so when Jesus got in front of my, really my best friend, my childhood friend, we all expected him to say, you know, be healed, whatever, receive your sight. You know what he says? What do you want? (laughs) It blew our minds because, like, first of all, he wants a million shekels because he's a beggar. (laughs) Anybody, even Jesus, could know that just by a glance. Or, obviously, he would want his sight back. Um, Where did the guitar player go? Was... Was that you? No, he's going out there. Oh, shoot. I was going to... It was so beautiful. And, and at this part of the talk, um, just imagine... <laughs> just, just imagine he's, he's, he's working his magic there. Um, Jesus asked, what do you want? And, you know, I think there's a lot there. When Jesus asked him, what do you want? It struck me that the question was a disruption of assumptions about how the world and life is. The question was a, a kind of digging into what is deeply inside of my best friend. It's, it's asking him what may seem obvious to express what his deepest heart's desire is. And it, and it was a beautiful exchange between this guy that we think might be the Messiah and my best friend. And I think if he was here today, he would ask each of us the same question. I know he would. What is it that we want? And it's not the obvious things. I mean, we all want to be uh, married to and be a better husband or a better spouse, or we all want friendship and companionship. We'd all like our job to be something meaningful and better. We might wish for our mortgage to go away. (laughs) I mean, I do that a lot. (laughs) But, and of course we want these things, and these are legitimate answers to that question. But what I saw Jesus doing with Bartimaeus I saw him pulling out the deepest, most beautiful, best part of my friend. What do you want? What's in there? What is, what is the white hot core of your life? What is just percolating to the surface and maybe damaged by the noise and the pain and the struggle that life is, maybe even your blindness? What, what is there? What's, what's in there? Ask yourself that question. Imagine Jesus standing here and asking you, what do you want? What's happening in there? And imagine what your answer could be. I believe that's the crux of this story where Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. He says, receive your sight. And Bartimaeus receives his sight pulls his cloak off and throws it away. And as 
the historical record is that he followed Jesus forward. Remember, Jesus is on his way to die. He, he, he had just told his disciples, James and John and the whole crew, that he's going to Jerusalem to die. And the Bible says they didn't even understand what he meant. This is right after James and, I think it was James and John, uh, said, we'd like to ask you a question. And Jesus says, again, it's the, I think there's three times he does this, what is it that you want? And you know what they answered? I mean, I hope that we wouldn't answer this way. But they said, we want to sit on your right and your left hand. They want to be rulers. And then he's, you know, he's saying, he says back, well, you need to be the servant of all. You're not like the Gentiles who lord it over one another. Again, the question dislodging the deepest sentiment, the deepest sense of meaning in life. So, so Bartimaeus takes off his license, throws it on the ground, follows the disciples to Jerusalem. We never hear from him again. But we hear a lot from Jesus every day because he is presence. When, when Chuck rang the bell, it was an invitation to disrupt the noise. When we have this sacred word to call us back away from the noise, this is an opportunity to hear Jesus asking, what is most deeply you? Who are you? What is it that you really want? And to me, this has been an extremely nourishing uh, study to prepare and, and imagine myself in the story, to allow it to be my story. And to think, what is it, Jesus? What, how would I answer? I'd like to give you my answer, but something in me resists that because our answers are so diverse and so different because we're so unique. And, and there is no one-track way to, to do this life. There's no, you know... Van Morrison said it well. There's no method, no guru, and no teacher. We have these, these indicators. And, and getting away from the noise, you know, the noise includes the conditioning of what you were taught is beautiful and good. The noise is so many things. And so to get at that deepest place is to be entirely present to who Jesus is. To be completely open to what he might say. That's my hesitation. But I asked myself, what is it? What, what's my answer? And um, my answer came pretty quickly. It started in 1994 when a little girl was, was uh, sleeping on the floor of a friend of ours, a friend we had made in a refugee camp. And she was four years old. And we were told that her village was attacked and soldiers, pro-democracy soldiers, went to her village to document what happened and find survivors. And those soldiers only found this four-year-old girl. The rest of the village was either dead or had run off into the jungle, joining what at the time was over five million internally displaced people on the run from their own government. This vulnerable, beautiful little girl was found in a hiding place. And the soldiers uh, guessed that her loved ones were running with her, carrying her, 
and knowing that they might be caught if they continued to try and make it carrying this child, they very likely hid her and said, shh, don't say a word. We'll be back. And they ran, but they didn't come back. We don't know what happened. They found this little girl, carried her for a couple days to the Moy River, crossed the Moy River up Shoglo Stream to Shoglo Refugee Camp where there were 9,000 refugees. Among them Rose, the woman who became our dearest friend. And when we heard that story, Rose looked up at us and, um, and said, this is happening all the time in my country and there are no, there's no safety net for children like this. Would you help me help this little girl and set up some way that we can help children who are unaccompanied or lost or orphaned? And when she said that, I saw God. Which leads me to another thing, and that is that the poor among us are not a problem to solve. They're a way to see God. If we interact with them, we will encounter God. I, we all know this, right? It's been my experience. And Rose was the poorest of the poor, raped and tortured, lost her husband. He died because of this terrible war and been through hell, raising two little kids, and the soldiers bring her, this vulnerable little girl, and she tells us this story, looks into our eyes. And when she did, I thought, if I don't say yes, I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> like, this is God asking me if I could get involved in the most vulnerable victim of this terrible war. And even though I didn't know much about the war or the... the the, the complexity of the war, I knew this. I have to care. This is an invitation straight from God. And that day, in her bamboo hut, in Shogo refugee camp, I said yes, not to Rose and not to an orphaned child. I, I said yes to God. He was asking me, just like he asked blind Bartimaeus, what's deeply in there? And what was in there wasn't the, the external hypocrite that I was. It wasn't, um, it wasn't all of my roles and all of my conditioning and all of my trips and all of my noise. There was something deeper in there that was percolating to the surface that was provoked by Rose and this four-year-old little girl. And there were moments like that through the next few years that, that really galvanized my answer. I remember um, a, a bunch of villages were burned down on the banks of the Moy River and uh, something like 3,000 villagers uh, took boats or swam across that small river and came into Thailand and, and we got a call. We heard that there was a crisis and these people needed help and so I drove down and the international agencies were already there. Someone from uh, the UN was already there, and I can't remember who else. This is 1997 or so. And I remember going into the room with them, and, 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 and we heard the situation and that there were 3,000 people just down the road who needed food and blankets and shelter, and their village was still on fire. The smoke from their village was still going up into the air. And um, I sat with these very serious uh, aid workers, 
And they talked for a long time, and then they were closing the meeting and headed back to the city where they all stayed. And I said, wait a minute, we gotta, you have to help them. And they said, no, this is our first assessment. It takes time to set up the permissions from the authorities and to get permissions to use the money in this way. And there's all these steps we have to take. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> you give me your money. I, told, I said, you give me your money right now. I have a truck. And uh, I, I, was there, I was there with this big fat guy named uh, Peter. <laughs> big happy Burmese guy. Sorry I used this word, but this, this huge, happy, amazing, and fearless guy. And, um, and you know what they did? They all gave me their money. They took out their wallets and gave me their cash. And I was like, okay, I, I like this job. <laughs> and then we drove down. We counted how many people needed blankets and clothes and who needed food. And we went and bought it. And I remember Peter got them all to quiet down. We showed up with these trucks, a huge truck full of stuff. And, and uh, my truck was full of stuff. And before we we're going to distribute it, Peter whistled and told everybody to be quiet. And it was completely silent. 3,000 people in this field with tons of children and animals and everything, and it, it got completely silent. And it was magic. I thought, this is exactly where I belong. And it was one of those times when I felt Jesus was standing there, just like Bartimaeus. What is most deeply inside of you? And I said, this, this is what it is. This is why I'm here. This is my purpose. This is how I contribute to the world that I live in. I've had these experiences. started with one little girl, and then it turned into the, all of the ethnic states in Myanmar. This, this team that I developed, my wife and I developed out of this experience, uh, grew to 65 people, and we helped about a half a million people a year. It was really cool and really amazing. And, and it, what happens when you say yes to the one? What happens when you give an honest answer to, to Jesus from your deepest soul? <laughs> something else is going to happen. Like, every time, something else is on the way. And, and we are going to be constantly led deeper into the exciting, painful, mixed-up, crazy adventure of the life that we've been given here on earth. And somehow, if we can keep honest and keep true and keep somehow navigating through the noise and into this present state with God, all of that turns into beautiful. You might think you can't get involved with a war zone or, or you can't handle the, the idea of, of helping people who have been raped and tortured or all of these terrible things. But somehow, if, if, if it's not about being some kind of savior, if, if it's really about doing what I'm here to do, then we can go into that and say, ouch, that hurts. But that is a part of where we are. That's a part of this planet and will be for the rest of its days. I'm here to be a part of this. You know, this thing that we all feel when we watch the news that there's so much terrible things going on in the world and it's super demotivating. It pulls away 
our, even our ability to sort out how we could possibly be involved. I hate that about the news. Because actually, it distracts us from being present to God. It distracts us from understanding that the change that we want to be a part of starts in our home and with our neighbor and in our neighborhood and with our, the city we live in or wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. So if we get distracted by the news and overwhelmed, that's the time to say, you know, I'm not going to take the easy way out and say, that, that's why I'll keep doing nothing. I'm, I'm going to stay open. I'm going to stay vulnerable. I'm going to allow the question to be asked and be willing to give it an honest answer and accept that I need courage and humility and strength to walk into whatever that answer might be. That's exactly the project everyone in this room is doing right now. So, I mentioned the pain of the world and the external things that, that hurt and hurt us. But there's, there's also more intimate pain that can take us away from the question. You know, when, when your best friend betrays you or, or when you, your, your marriage falls apart and it turns into a battlefield and the kids are involved and they're used against each other and or, or we really try hard to do something, to do something great, and instead of it being celebrated, it's mocked. These are intimate and tender hurts that are satisfied by this same presence. They're satisfied by being able to be open to the question when Jesus says, what do you want? I don't want revenge for one of my closest friends who recently betrayed me. We talked about kindness. For me, I've been working in my morning process on equanimity. And equanimity is um, it's, um, loving all and loving all people equally, but it's also the discipline of wishing them, no matter who they are, to succeed and move forward. And that's, for me, very hard with a few people right now who have hurt me. Can you relate to what I'm saying, the hurt story? The hurt story stops us from being able to, to even hear the question. We can't be present. When the bell, is, when the bell rings... If, if we've stopped at that stop on the, on the way, if, if we've stopped at the stop of bitterness or pain or, or constantly ruminating about betrayal and hurt, we can't be present. We can't be where Bartimaeus was and hear what Jesus has to say. I, I really think that what Jesus was indicating to Bartimaeus is that um, what you seek is actually in you. Dig that out. Talk to me about that. Get, sort through all the noise and tell me what, what is that? So I was recently um, 
challenged by uh, what I would call betrayal. And, um, and uh, I, I laid on my couch listening to Bob Dylan for about a week, um, which, I mean, I listen to him when I'm happy too, but it, it, really, it really matched my mood and um, I attempted to drink myself to death. That helped. Um, and uh, cried a lot and I thought, how could they do this to me? My friends, how could they actually do this to me? And um, after about a week, I got, I realized, wait, um, I'm not that. I'm not, I'm not a victim. I'm not the betrayed. I'm not a part of a legal platform that was taken away from me. I love people. especially little ones. And what it felt like on my couch was Jesus coming to me and saying, what do you want? And I said, oh, that's right. (laughs) I'm not that. I'm this. I want to help 450 million children who are in war zones. I want to help 2 million children living in shelters in Ukraine. I want to help 7.5 million children in Ukraine who are surviving this terrible war, living half their time in bomb shelters. I want to be a part of that. I'd like for these children to understand that they're loved and not forgotten, and give them the tools to emotionally regulate and not be stuck in the moment of war. I'd like for them to not be the depressed suicide cases of the future or the future autocrats and dictators and psychopaths who who stay in this highly activated zone of cortisol and adrenaline. I'd like to give them tools to be calm and learn peace and, and not be stuck in the victim's story. I'd like for them to have enough awareness to be present to God himself so that when God says, what do you want? They can answer from their deepest self, not the noise. And so, Novi is the answer to that question. My wife and I started uh, this new organization called Novi, and we're going to have a talk about that after this meeting. But back to us. What do you want? And how do we stay present enough to hear that question when we wake up? How, how can we stay present to the question when we're reacting to the pain that we have legitimately felt? Mm. 
And it's my opinion that uh, a part of that answer is what's happening here. We, we need to belong to a group of people that watches out for each other and loves each other through the pain. And somehow we need to be called back by the bell to be present. Because this question is being asked all the time. And we can take off the license, that cloak. We can take off our begging cloak and follow God into to a much more interesting application of the life that we have. And I believe that when we do that as a community, it's an unstoppable force that changes the world. And it may be just changing the world for Linda, who's sitting next to you, who's really trying to care for her as a single mother for her three young children and really needs someone to help her make it through the day. Not the week, not the month, the day. It starts anywhere and it becomes this unstoppable force of beauty in the world. And it supplants, it changes what we think is me. Me, the betrayed. Me, the victim. Me, the college dropout. Or me, the one who didn't get that job that I wanted so badly. Me, who I've been married three times and I can't figure that one out. Whatever it is, there's something deeper there. Something more substantial, eternal, significant, and unstoppable. And it's my prayer today that by being with you, I'm a part of us digging around and calling that to expression. So I hope that you'll all stay for whatever's next. Those of you who don't, I'm very grateful to have been a part of this morning. If you'd like information about Novi, I have uh, um, an amateur printout of uh, all of our contact details over here. If you'd like for Novi to be a part of what you do in the world, I hope you'll join us. And uh, you can hear more about that later, too. But thanks for being a part of what I'm becoming. And um, I could go on for a long time about that, too. <laughs> Um, and I hope that today I've contributed to what we're all becoming. God bless you. So, all right, if when you realized I wasn't going to talk today, and then I introduced this guy, are you disappointed? No. no okay. <laughs> Glad to, glad to hear it. Um, okay, um, today's donations are going to go to Novi. Whatever you donate to Reflection today will go to Novi. And, um, you know, it's wonderful to, to know Steve because you wonder, well, here's an organization, what's it all about? Is it about raising money for the organization. And when you know Steve, you know what it's about. It, you know, it's about these precious human lives. And I, I just can't tell you how much I love you, Steve, and appreciate you. Okay, uh, would you all stand, please?
what, what we've planned is a, rece- a reception, and I don't know how much more Steve wants to talk about Novi, but um, what I especially want is for you to have the opportunity to meet Steve personally before you go to shake his hand, say hi, tell him your name. Uh, he has uh, qu- quite the memory uh, for people that he's met before. And, uh, and so we're just going to hang out for a while and have something to eat uh, so you can go get it. And you can come back in here. You can either sit at a table if there's an opening or sit wherever you like or stand. Uh, we can talk to each other uh, as we wait for our opportunity to talk to Steve. And um, it's, it's just however it works for you. Stay however long you want, leave whenever you need to. But for now, may the Lord God bless us this week. May the question that Jesus asks continue to ring in our ears and resonate down into our hearts. May God, keep away all evil and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.